0: Today's episode is brought to you by our amazing friends at Picmonic. On their behalf, I hope you enjoy. Welcome everyone to the Medspiration Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nav, and this is episode number 25 with Dr. Risa Hoshino.
1: Doctors Nav Badesha and Malika Beg are both family and community medicine resident physicians at SIU Medicine. We
0: do outpatient and inpatient medicine, so we've been seeing covid kind of from every angle from kids to adults to the elderly, the couple treating COVID-19 patients during their 70 to 80 hour work weeks and both doctors
1: recently got the COVID-19 vaccine experiencing mild but expected side effects.
0: I've gotten my first dose of the Moderna You've gotten both your doses of the Pfizer Pfizer now. Uh, I'm about to get my next dose next week.
1: Both doctors understand how some in the community might feel hesitant to take the vaccine, especially with misinformation online.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you're having a blessed day. Thank you so much for pressing play and tuning into the Medspiration podcast, where our goal is to help you bridge the gap between medical science and your mind, body, and spirit. We're about a year and a half into this pandemic, and I've had the unfortunate experience of seeing how this virus has affected nearly every age group. And along with that, I'm answering questions about vaccines every day. And I can say from experience, the large majority of patients that come to me with questions are genuinely curious. They wanna do what's best for themselves and their family. So after compiling a list of the most common questions that I receive, The following are the questions that Dr. Risa Hoshino and I will be answering during this podcast. Is the vaccine something that would be beneficial for you? What are the side effects? Who should get the vaccine? Who shouldn't? Do they cause infertility? What if you're pregnant or breastfeeding? Does it affect the menstrual cycle? What's the difference between all the shots? Should your kids get the shot? As a family medicine doctor, these are questions I get every day. And if these are questions you may have, then we made this episode with you in mind. In today's episode, we're bringing you Dr. Risa Hoshino. She's a board certified pediatrician and vaccine expert who's been working in the public health and education sector in the state of New York. What's awesome is she works with the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, or the ACIP, which is a group of medical and public health experts. So we get the inside scoop on how an emergency use authorization for vaccines happens. She sits in on these meetings and contributes to them. So we get a lot of insider information that I wasn't even aware of. So I'm so excited to share this with you guys. In order to understand today's episode in its entirety, We're starting with a primer on three very important concepts. Number one, how COVID-19 infects our cells. Number two, how our immune system works. Number three, how COVID vaccines work. If you're a visual learner, you can go to Medspiration's YouTube channel to watch this alongside animations and subtitles. Number one, how COVID-19 infects our cells. You may have seen pictures of the virus with its distinctive spike proteins. These spikes allow the virus to attach to specific cells in your body and infect them. When the virus enters your body, it will attach itself to one of your cells and inject its genetic information or RNA into that cell. This RNA contains instructions that will tell your cells to make more copies of the virus. These infected cells become factories, assembling new copies of the virus that can infect more cells. But don't worry, there is some inspiration. The good news is, our bodies have a defense system for foreign intruders. The immune system attacks any protein, virus, or bacteria that does not belong in our bodies. It'll break it down and then make antibodies against it, which can provide long-term memory to help your body defend itself in the future. Balanced nutrition, consistent exercise, not smoking, and not being overweight can also help in maintaining immunity which is essential for the prevention and management of viral infections. Now, here's the key idea for COVID vaccines like Moderna, Pfizer, J&J, and AstraZeneca. What if we could train our immune system to recognize these spikes by having our own bodies produce them? To do that, researchers took the virus's blueprint, its genetic sequence, and isolated the parts that are responsible for producing the spikes. Each of the vaccines contain instructions to build the spikes of the coronavirus. Not the virus itself, just the spikes. The vaccines contain instructions for your cells that tell them to build up the spikes in large volumes, almost like giving them a recipe to follow. Once this happens, your immune system kicks into action and starts learning how to attack this spike protein, which your body labels as an intruder. The main idea is to train the immune system to recognize and fight off the infection before it's occurred. Almost like showing your immune system a mugshot of the virus and saying, if you see this, kill it. Your immune system destroys all the spike proteins and even breaks down all the materials from the vaccines. When it's all said and done, the only thing that's left in your body are specialized B cells or memory cells. These can linger around for months or years until the same virus infects you again. When that happens, the B cells can produce the correct antibodies right away, preventing the virus from spreading and making you sick or causing severe illness. I'm so excited to get your feedback on this one fam, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Make sure you tell every single person that you know and love about this show because it would mean the world to our team and it would help us medspire more individuals like yourself. And no matter where you are in the world, you can tag us on Instagram and we'll start a conversation with you. Tag us in your stories, share us in your posts, and we'll make sure we reach out. And a special thank you to our sponsor today, Pigmonic. I personally use Picmonic in my studies for step 1 directly off of my iPhone. Their learning system powers thousands of mnemonic videos and quizzes that have been scientifically proven to increase long term memory retention by up to 331%. And trust me, they're not lying. There was things on the USMLEs that I would have never remembered if I didn't remember the Picmonic. It sounds crazy, but it's kind of like Cliff Notes meets Saturday morning cartoons for higher education. They help med students, NPs, PAs, PharmDs, RNs, LPNs, paramedics, and pre med students rock their course exams, boards, and become more competent healthcare providers. Picmonic has partnered with MedSpiration to help make learning and memorizing easier than ever. So I know the CEO personally, and we got you a pretty sweet deal here. You could check them out for free. If you sign up, you'll get instant access to a free video and quiz every day, no credit card required. You can use the promo code Medspiration for 20% off any premium subscription. Again, guys, I would really recommend checking them out and trying out their resources. I promise you won't be disappointed. We'll have a link provided to you in the description below. And now, without further ado, let the Medspiration begin. Dr. Risa Hoshino, welcome to the Medspiration podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. I wanna start by acknowledging the effort that you've been making in the public health and education sector since the surge of the pandemic. I've found myself sharing so many of your educational posts related to vaccines and I'm really grateful for the work that you've been doing. That's why today my intention is to hopefully answer the most common questions and topics that are related to COVID-19 and the vaccines. So without further ado, can you please introduce yourself?
1: Yes, hi, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm a huge fan of your podcast. So thank you so much. So hi, I'm Dr. Risa Hoshino. I'm a pediatrician working in public health. And, you know, I went to NYU Medical School and went to Mount Sinai Pediatrics Residency after where I did a lot of vaccine advocacy. And now I work in public health for the past four years and it's been a (laughs) a journey. (laughs) Um, This pandemic has really shown me what we can do with public health and, you know, just how we can change people's minds through health education made simple so um that's what my platform is all about and i really appreciate you helping me to get the word out because this is a really pivotal time
0: absolutely and i'm just curious what what got you on instagram and educating on instagram because lately you've been doing such a great job with it i I was wondering what got you on there
1: yeah so actually it was last october um i had been on for a couple months before but vaccines had been you know the the word was coming out that vaccines were uh, being developed and i saw a pew research poll that showed that only 21% of Americans would get the vaccine if it was approved. I saw that number and my heart just dropped. I said, how are we supposed to get the herd immunity if, you know, we need 70 to 85% of the population vaccinated before we get there. So I decided, you know, I'm going to try to gather as many like-minded people as possible and start a movement. So I just, made a hashtag. I was like, what is this? What's the hashtag? (laughs) HCW for uh, science. Uh And then, you know, we're going to say that healthcare workers are banding together and we're all going to get the shot and we're all going to do okay. And we believe in science because, you know, that's what we're all about. Right. And I, I just wanted, I just started writing more posts about it. I, I started to try to make more shareable content. And yeah, I mean, I just all of a sudden got all these followers and it just kind of went from there. And then people started to call me the shop queen because (laughs) (laughs) Because I was, you know, just really trying my best because I wanted that number to go up. And actually we got pretty good now you know I as you know lots and lots of uh, people are getting the vaccine it's about like 50 percent acceptance rate which is pretty great and we want it to be higher and higher obviously so
0: yeah no I'm, I'm right there with you inspiration we got on Instagram like back in 2014 and we were one of the first you know Instagrams that was doing like free open access medical education and it was such a cool platform when we originally started using it and then now I was kind of looking at where things have gone and we've got information overload and I was I was kind of shocked and a little disappointed because I noticed how many anti-vaxxers there were and how many how much pseudoscience there was and how much misinformation is passed around so that's where I'm like really grateful that we have physicians and scientists on these platforms too because honestly in my opinion it's our responsibility to make sure that the right information is actually being given to the public you know
1: yeah it's it's hard work it's not easy and um I think you you know, I'm, I'm up all night sometimes reading these <laughs> research articles because I, I feel, yes, this responsibility. And it's it's sad that it, it does fall upon us because we have, you know, as you know, doctors are very busy, but it does fall on us because, you know, there's really not enough good information out there because of these anti-vaxxers who, you know, spread misinformation. I thought I'd be more, you know, talking about science and things, but I'm just debunking these
0: Debunking myths. De-bunking yeah, myths. Know, really, though. yeah, well, it's working, and uh, you know, hitting the most common topics, uh, and that's what I'm hopeful to accomplish here today. First place I want to start is what's the history of COVID-19 and RNA vaccines? When did the research first begin on them?
1: Yeah, so actually a lot of people think it's new, but mRNA research has been going on for a very long time. 30 years ago, we actually started um, looking into mRNA and how it can maybe induce the immune system. And so it has it had been shown to induce a cellular immunity back 30 years ago. So yeah, I mean, it's pretty old technology if you look at it like that. Um, In 1995, the first cancer uh, modified antigen mRNA vaccine was created. And so actually in 2009, mRNA was used as cancer treatment at that point. And then even eight years ago, we had actually started giving mRNA vaccines to trial participants. So we have about like 1,280 vaccine trial participants who got an mRNA in <laughs> vaccine wow. in their arm, and they're doing okay. So you know, I, I, I want to just kind of reassure people, it's not just like, oh, it just came out of thin air. It, it really scientists worked really, really hard on
0: Oh wow, that's cool. Actually, that's new information to me. I I was aware that the original SARS that there was research done around that time, and there was talks about creating an RNA vaccine for that SARS, which I believe was like two thousand three. And you know, going thirty years back, that's even cooler. Question number two: How does the data on Moderna and Pfizer vaccines look today, as of right now? And is it true that vaccinated individuals have a lower risk of hospitalization from severe COVID compared to our non? vaccinated counterparts.
1: It's true, absolutely. The data is looking amazing, better than I ever thought possible. Um, Right now, you know, mRNA shots are 90% effective in preventing SARS-CoV-2 infections, both symptomatic and asymptomatic. So you can't give someone a virus that you don't have, right? So even asymptomatic infections. So very, very, very good. And we have seen much, much lower rates of hospitalizations, much, 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 much lower rates of death. And so really, you're protecting yourself from hospitalizations and death. And that's what we really care about. we do care about of course symptomatic asymptomatic infections but really we're trying to to prevent death and hospitalizations which is what this pandemic is all about right so that Mm -hmm. that's really really important and even the breakthrough infections that we're getting of course you know this these shots all of them they're very effective 90 percent effective but they're not hundred percent but even so it's so rare to actually catch covid with this like point zero zero seven percent or something mm-hmm. after you get vaccinated, so very very rare, and we're just so lucky to have these. Vaccines. Yeah,
0: yeah, we really are. I've had like one co-resident who got uh one shot of the vaccine and ended up still getting COVID. wasn't hospitalized, everything was fine, and you know I finished medical ICU last month, and you know we've definitely seen a dramatic drop in the amount of patients that we're seeing uh with COVID in the ICU, but they're still there, and I still had a. a a big amount of patients die last month and it's it's heartbreaking you know um i don't recall anything like this before covid where people were just dying of you know this respiratory failure and respiratory distress that we're seeing with covid so i I think it is really important to note you know these vaccines they're very good at preventing hospitalization and that that like you said i think is the biggest goal with the vaccines what's the difference between the mrna vaccine and the adenovirus vectors
1: so um, it's really the difference is the delivery system because really the end product um, is like the little spike protein that, you know, your body is introduced to. The spike protein is a very benign piece of the virus, so it, it won't do anything wrong. The media and the, <laughs> and the internet like to, you know, villainize the spike protein, but really it does nothing. It just is a way for your body to recognize the real virus when it comes by, because it does have the spike protein on it. And then so it can make antibodies to it. So Mm -hmm. the mRNA ones, they deliver the mRNA in a small fat bubble, and that mRNA goes to the cell and it gets directly translated into protein. So that's how you know, that that spike protein is made. And it's it's shown uh, at the surface of the cell, and then the immune system can make those antibodies, so the anti-spike antibodies. And then the adenovirus vector vaccine, which is the JNJ. So the mRNA ones are the Pfizer and the Moderna. JNJ is the non-replicating adenovirus vector. So it, it does not replicate, it does not, it's not harmful whatsoever. It's just the vehicle for the so instead of mRNA, it's DNA. Um, mm-hmm. it's a vehicle that is being brought to the stuff of the cell, it's injected into the cell using the adenovirus vector. And then that DNA is then transcribed uh, to mRNA, and then it goes, you know, it's basically the same after that because you're making spike protein from mRNA.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Now, do they affect your DNA? Do they change your DNA in any way?
1: Absolutely not. There's no biological way that can happen. Um, So mRNA doesn't even go to the nucleus, um, so it, it can't. And then for, in terms of the DNA, it, it really cannot because of just the way the adenovirus vector is.
0: Which vaccine did you get?
1: Oh, so the one that I got was just the one that they had available, uh, which is Moderna. Yeah, but I would have been, <laughs> I'd have been happy with any of them. We are so lucky in the U.S. to have such great vaccines.
0: Yeah, and I'm Indian, and my parents are from India. And like right now in India, it's uh, it's bad, and I think their uh, vaccination rate it's like two percent. I think it's important to note, like we're privileged, we have access to the vaccines. Uh, the people in india it's a it's a two percent vaccination rate not because people are like we don't want the vaccine it's because they don't have access to it you know so and we we got a lot of first world problems in this country for sure
1: yeah we're privileged (laughs) shows right with the messaging i mean it's really really sad so yeah my husband's also indian so we do have family over there it's really just
0: It's terrible right now. Yeah, it's it's really sad. So as far as like uh, most common side effects when you're given the vaccines, uh, what are they?
1: Yeah, so um, most people would get like some kind of injection site pain. Mm -hmm. And so be a little tender. And I would say all the symptoms I talk about are are more so for Moderna and Pfizer and then like J&J have those as well, but it's just less and then fatigue, headache, like kind of flu-like symptoms, you know, like headache, muscle aches, chills, fever. But again, I do have like a nice little chart that I put up uh, that I made um, on my, you know, on my Instagram and it just kind of lists all of those. And I also even have a highlights of symptoms highlights because there will be other things that come up like nausea, you know, things like that and i think people like to hear it just hear that other people are yeah. going through this as well because you know it is it's stressful i mean it's a stressful time and mm-hmm. you're you're sick and you're, you're not happy so it's it, i have that kind of highlight to help people
0: yeah yeah i agree that's uh kind of what i experienced so like you know the first shot i got the shot about like 3 4 hours later i could definitely feel i couldn't like lift my arm so it was it was pretty rough for me like i couldn't abduct my arm past like 90 degrees so i was like okay yeah pretty rough. I exercise like five times a week. So I still ran a mile. I noticed I ran a mile just (laughs) a little bit slower than I usually do. Uh, But overall, I felt fine. I I didn't really get any side effects other than arm soreness and a little bit of fatigue from the first shot. Second shot kind of knocked me on my butt, though. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, so like about six hours after I got it, I started feeling like muscle aches and pains and i kind of made the mistake of being like i'm still gonna work out you know so i like still exercise did my high intensity stuff but then like when i finished i was like ah i don't i don't know if i feel so good so i ended up uh taking some tylenol drink some water had some dinner and then i went to sleep so when i went to sleep i like woke up in the middle of night i had some chills i, I felt really really cold i was like trembling <laughs> but i was like sweaty so i was like oh man it's kind of terrible woke Ready? up I, took some Tylenol, took some water. And then by the time I woke up, I was feeling better. And I think one of the best things that I try to tell my patients all the time is that this was a good response. This means that my immune system ramped up and it was reacting and it's, it's, it's gaining memory from that. It's learning from what it's breaking down and it's our immune system that actually does that. So what, w- what was your experience with uh, the vaccine? Did you have a lot of side effects?
1: Absolutely, did. And I kept telling myself the same thing that my immune system's making antibodies. this is a good thing. You know, I feel miserable, but it's a good thing because I had actually pretty uh, strong symptoms for the first shot as well. I started to get all the, all the things I just said, Mm -hmm. plus like some nausea and, you know, um, I was, I was pretty tired And, and that lasted maybe like two days. And then the second shot, it really knocked me on my butt too. And I was like, that braille, I, It was like oh. 103 fever. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I had to take some Tylenol and, and that I, I want to just say Tylenol Motrin is okay. It's yeah. not going to blunt the immune response. A lot of people think that it will. Um, you just shouldn't take the Tylenol ibuprofen before.
0: Beforehand. Yeah, that's what yeah. I tell it's, my patients. Yeah.
1: It should be after, like after you get symptoms that you know, you can't really handle my husband had a headache and he, he just like slept through it. So I was like, Okay, fine. We, we don't need to give the tunnel. But for me, I was I, I had bad, headaches, <laughs> you know, and it's okay. You know, like you said, I it's totally normal. And a lot of people get that. And if if you didn't get it, it's okay, too. That yeah. if you didn't get any symptoms, it's okay to You you are still making antibodies, it's just everybody has a different body and reacts differently.
0: How long did these side effects last for you?
1: The first one was two days and then the second one I think it was like maybe two and a half days.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was about but like I mean,
1: it can go up to like five days. Yeah. It, it yeah, can yeah. Or, or even longer. Some people have even like, you know, longer symptoms. So I, I just always try to like normalize it for people because I mean it, it is a scary time for everyone you know it's a pandemic so i just kind of like reassure people
0: yeah no agreed and you know i actually had like a headache for almost like a week and a half afterward and it was really light like i couldn't feel it throughout yeah. the day but sometimes if i made a quick movement yeah. i could still feel a little bit so
1: mm-hmm. you know other
0: than that though yeah i'd say about 12 hours is where i had like the the really yeah. really bad signs of- that's
1: right twelve hours. it's eight to twelve hours
0: for most people it's like it's yeah. like
1: it was like clockwork
0: yeah yeah exactly and you know it's um i kept telling myself it's better than getting covid
1: that that is exactly what i tell people it's better than COVID. i mean people who had covid i mean they're they when they get the shots they're like this is nothing COVID yeah. was way worse you know and even if you let's say were asymptomatic you know a lot of people were asymptomatic with COVID and still have issues now still have yeah. like problems breathing and things like that it's a very weird virus and you know it's, very we have weird. to do everything in our power not to get it
0: yeah and I've had you know some people that barely had any like one he- a headache for a day and they actually tested positive for COVID and then they were fine but then I've had friends who were 30 that ended up in the ICU on ECMO who barely made it. And then, yeah, you know, especially it's, it's different because i feel like a lot of people haven't been allowed in the icu you know so like because people have been so isolated and they haven't actually seen what the icu looks like with covid yeah it's it's really heartbreaking when you're actually in there and like you know when the families can't come and see the patient unless they're like terminally ill it's it's something that definitely is uh if it can be avoidable through a vaccine it's recommended. absolutely what's the risk of allergic reactions and what are some absolute contraindications for the vaccine
1: yeah so Actually, risk of allergies um, to the shot is very, very, very rare, super rare. So Pfizer is like 4.7 per million, and then Moderna is like 2.5 per million, and then J is something per million as well. And you know, the most important thing that I can tell people is if you have a history of allergies, don't think that you can't get the shot, right? So yeah. I'll you know, go over like the complicated stuff, but contra, and there are only a couple contraindications meaning you absolutely cannot get the shot. So if you're have an, if you have an allergy to an ingredient in the vaccine. So you have to look through the ingredients. I have a list of ingredients on my Instagram as well, but it's really not that much in there. It's just like mRNA and a fat bubble and a buffer wow. solution. So it's really not not much in there. You know, there is like PEG, which is a type of fat that very, very, very few people have, you know, an allergy to and wow. polysorbate, which is in the J&J vaccine. So other than those like food allergies, drug allergies, all those people can get the shot. And then the other thing I say is that if you've had an allergic reaction to a vaccine or an injectable before, then definitely talk to your doctor because they may be able to advise you, okay, that you know that vaccine didn't have this stuff so you can get it or oh it did have it and then you can't get it so you just that's just a discussion with your doctor but that it's not a contraindication as well. So like I said like food and drug allergies totally fine. All you have to do is just let the people know at the vaccine site like because they'll just monitor you for a little longer than the Other people, and Mm -hmm. even for someone like me who's never had an allergy before, we still have to wait fifteen minutes because I mean, it's everybody who has had an allergy didn't know they had an allergy before they got a reaction, right? So I mean, it could it could be me too. So that's why they do that observation period, and they have you know EpiPen there. They have everything there, so I wouldn't worry about that because really, it's again so so rare, and if it does happen, we have treatment for it. Mm -hmm. So that should not be a reason not to get it.
0: Agreed. Our our hospital protocol, it was the same, 15 minutes for somebody who seemed like they'd be like low to medium risk. High risk, people who've had those histories, uh, they were watched for 30 minutes. Uh, but like you said, the EpiPens are right there. And if you look at it, risk versus benefits, and God forbid this happens, but if you get the vaccine and you have anaphylaxis, you get hit with an EpiPen, you could spend time in the ER and you're still gonna, your immune system's still gonna, you know, develop this immune response to the SARS-COVID, right? So versus, you know, say you don't get the vaccine and and you end up getting COVID and it's a lot worse and we don't have a definitive treatment for COVID, you know? So-
1: exactly. I I agree with you. You have to look at the pros versus cons. You know, Mm -hmm. everything, every decision we ever make in life, you have to weigh the pros and cons and the benefits and risks. Yeah. And the benefits far, far, far outweigh the risks when it comes to this vaccine. Honestly, these vaccines have just really been amazing. And I, I can't think of a reason not to get it. So yeah. other than you know, the allergy that I talked
0: about, like yeah. to the,
1: the vaccine ingredient, but there are other vaccines you can get if you are allergic to something. So
0: yeah. What about this risk of like Bell's palsy? They started talking about Bell's palsy originally, and then it's kind of fallen through a little bit
1: yeah, it's fallen through because it's not really a thing. You got the <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know, they did. I would say there's so many things that came and go, you know? I mean, the allergy thing was a huge thing and initially about palsy you know, that kind of thing. Basically, the media likes to, you know, kind of hype things up. But yeah. Bell's Posse, they basically in the trial found a uh, like an imbalance in numbers for Bell's Posse, like it was like three versus one or something like that. And so it's something that we're monitoring, but it looks like the background rate is the same as the, the rate that's in the vaccines. Um, yeah. So I, it's really not An issue that we think and you know as you know millions and millions and millions of shots have been given already, so I don't think it's.
0: A thing. Yeah, yeah, I think the incidence was the same in the people who had been vaccinated as the general um, risk that's of right. actually getting Bell's palsy. So, and I've, we've seen that with other things that have came came up where once we actually take a step back and look at it, it's like, oh, well, the general incidence has been the same, you know?
1: Yeah, and that's how theirs works, right? So the CDC, FDA look at the data very, very closely. And so they're not gonna miss it. They are not even missing the most rare of occurrences.
0: Can you get COVID after your first dose of Moderna and Pfizer? And I kind of spoiler already (laughs) talked about this a little bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can um, because unfortunately the efficacy is 50 to 80% um, in between the first and second shot. So it is quite possible to still get COVID between. And then another thing is, and this is something we see in the flu shot as well, you might have already had asymptomatic COVID or pre-symptomatic COVID before Mm -hmm. getting the shot. So when you got the shot, you're like, okay, I didn't have COVID. And then you know, you start to develop the symptoms, you're like, oh, shoot, like, I may have had COVID. And that's not like unsafe or anything, you know, and that's why we don't, you know, test for COVID before getting the shot. It's just that you'll have to wait. And I think maybe you're going to ask me that later, but you have to wait a certain amount of time before you can get your second shot. And then the third thing is I do hear a few people saying they felt protected already. So, you know, they might have loosened up a little bit on their precautions, even though they should have waited too weeks after the the second
0: dose but you know that's a little bit more uncommon yeah yeah and fun fact um uh, so I didn't have COVID I haven't been infected with COVID but got both the shots and then two weeks after my second dose I did the antibody test just to see if I had the antibodies to the spike protein and I did and I, I found that pretty cool just the fact that I I had never gotten it but now my immune system has the antibodies to it so how long have they shown the antibodies can stay for people who've been vaccinated so far
1: so so far, you know, because it's not enough pe- time has passed, we can say that at least six months, it's gonna yeah. last. But you know, looking at the, the graph, and just how it's kind of staying steady, experts do think that it's going to be at least a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not official yet. It's just something yeah. that we were thinking, and it could be even years, you know, mm-hmm. and that that's really a lot of vaccines last years and years. I mean, think about your vaccine schedule, right? You're not yeah. getting a shot like every, you know, whatever, every six months. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, but the thing is, it could be a yearly thing. It, de- it really depends on uh-huh. what happens, you know, because we have the variants now. So the variants have um, a certain, some of them have a certain level of immune escape, meaning that they can have an ability to not, not stick to the antibodies as well. Mm-hmm. and so they can maybe evade it but again vaccines still work for now they still stick to them like mm-hmm. it just a little less but they still st- do work we just have to kind of you know win <laughs> we have yeah. to win this game of cat and mouse that we're playing here but mm-hmm. we have to get to her to fast enough to be able to win this
0: Game. Mm-hmm. agreed but a lot of people ask me do you really need that second dose what's the what's the benefit of getting that second dose
1: yeah so as i explained the 50 to 80 percent efficacies between dose one and dose two but you really want the second dose to get that 95 90 to 95 oh. efficacy without mm-hmm. that you know it's, it's not you're not going to get to the highest level of efficacy and you also may not have long-lasting immunity as well because a lot of vaccines you need a booster shot in order to boost that that antibody level and the T cell immunity to a certain point so that you can have that long lasting immunity that I was talking about. So you do need the second shot. There is some preliminary data that show that people who've had COVID and have had antibodies Because the thing is, people who have had COVID, not all of them have antibodies too. So they are saying that in small studies that you may not need that second shot. But for now, because we don't have enough data, the CDC is saying that we're still gonna require the second shot. Um, but that may change in the future depending on you know bigger studies
0: yeah yeah that makes sense and you know just another fun fact doing some research and they they were tracking antibodies how long people can have antibodies after different vaccinations the smallpox vaccine people have been shown to have antibodies 50 years after they actually had the vaccine so uh, i'm not saying uh, it'll be 50 years for this vaccine but that's That's in the conversation, you know, which is pretty cool. Pretty awesome. It
1: is. is. It's definitely really cool. And vaccines are really cool. And I mean, we may need a booster shot for a variant because they are working on it. It it may, depending on what happens. But, you know, I I hope that we can get to herd immunity fast enough. We We might not be able to, we might not need it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I've I've heard about the the booster shot and I, I heard they've already ramped up production for it. But then, like, when we look at the data, it's kind of conflicting. I don't know. Have you heard anything about whether that's going to be a thing or?
1: It may be a thing. It may not. I really think things are, especially during this pandemic, things change every day. So I will definitely update you guys (laughs) if I hear anything. But for now, you know, it's just the two. And I think that, again, if we can reach herd immunity fast enough, we won't even need the booster shot. So it really depends on us. It really depends on what we do
0: Mm -hmm. now will delaying uh your second dose affect the vaccine efficacy
1: yeah that's a great question you know the trials did look at 21 days for pfizer and 28 days between the first and second dose for moderna so for now you know because we found the efficacy using those intervals that's what the cdc is recommending now The CDC also says that you can delay it up to 42 days because there has been data that shows that it's still effective during that period. But they do recommend like a four-day wiggle room period where you can get the shot like four days, you know, earlier, so like 17 days for Pfizer, you know, that like a wiggle room period, but... They do recommend like if you had a choice, try to get the later one because actually vaccines in general, they work better if you actually space apart the first and second Mm -hmm. dose. So for example, AstraZeneca, they found that 12 weeks is better than four weeks. in terms of efficacy and all our vaccines and the the vaccine schedule we try to you know space them apart as well because that's that's how um the immune system works and Mm -hmm. the booster is better after so that's kind of why the other countries you know are trying to space it apart because they're trying to conserve doses they're not as many doses to give out as the us so they Mm -hmm. don't have the luxury We're hoping it'll still work. It's just that it's not a guarantee because that's not what was studied in the trials. So that's why, at least in the US, I've been saying, if you can try to stick to the CDC guidelines.
0: Yeah, same, that's kind of where I've been at too, so. Now, as far as the vaccines, do they decrease the risk of asymptomatic transmission?
1: Yeah, so I did speak about that a little bit before. They do decrease um, asymptomatic transmission. It's been shown in all the shots that they do that. So that's pretty cool. That means that, so, you know, vaccines, they work by introducing your body to like a part of the virus or like a dead virus or, you know, a message that creates that part of the virus. And then that way your body can make antibodies to that thing. And then when the real virus comes, your body is like, oh, I got this. I already, I already saw you before. And then they make antibodies and then you kill the virus. And then you don't even make, you don't even have symptoms. It's as if it never came. You know, so a lot of people will be like that. They won't shed the virus through their nose and mouth. They won't get sick. It's as if it never came. But there will be a a few people who will still shed it through their nose and mouth. They're gonna be asymptomatic. They don't have symptoms, but they may shed a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we were like wondering about. Because I mean, if you're still shedding, and you might still be giving it to people, it's it looks like those people actually shed less even than people who, you know, weren't vaccinated. So even, so even if they they shed, they may not be as contagious. So anyway, that's kind of how vaccines work. And that's how we're going to get to herd immunity because we're going to have all these people who aren't really going to be transmitting the virus.
0: Mm -hmm. Can you define herd immunity for our audience?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So You know, herd immunity is when we have enough people vaccinated, so we have 70 to 85% of the population vaccinated. Not not have COVID vaccinated in order to protect the people who are immunocompromised because we're creating a bubble around them, a vaccinated bubble around them, of protection. Mm-hmm. Because if all of us are vaccinated and and can't transmit to others, then you know we can protect those people who don't have antibodies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, but you need enough people. You can't just be like sixty percent because there are going to be little pockets here and there. Also, another thing that I want people to know is we do need the world to be vaccinated because yeah. there's gonna always be right. international travel. It's not like we live in the US and no one's traveling here. So yeah. we do need to work with other countries and give them vaccines and help out that way. Because if the world is not vaccinated, we're, we're not gonna get to herd immunity.
0: Mm-hmm. I believe we'll do it. I believe we'll do it. I know the, the latest polls showed like 80% of Americans might be okay with getting a vaccine now. I'm, I'm proud of our people. I do think that You know, this whole social distancing uh, protocol that happened and people becoming isolated, having their freedoms taken away from them, like it, it made everybody really reactive through that period, you know, and like now all the people that I grew up with who aren't in medicine, they've all dealt with either a death in the family or someone who was like severely ill from COVID. And over time, I've seen that shift where where people have gone from like, no, I don't know about it to like, you know what, I think I want to protect my family, myself. Like, so I am grateful that it's getting to that point. And I, I agree with you. It's got to be outside of the US. It's got to be the globe that we got to get vaccinated at one point. So yeah, yeah, fingers I crossed.
1: Have too. I have hope too because otherwise I can't keep doing what I'm doing.
0: <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, amen, that's true. A few months back, we were talking about specific variants and then like now it's just kind of become, I think there's so many variants that we're kind of moving away from that. What do you know about the vaccines and working with like all these newer variants? Is it pretty efficacious with them or uh, does it not seem that way?
1: So, you know, right now the all the vaccines pretty much work for all the variants. So B1351, and like B1526. And now there are all these other ones. And they, you know, each one has different mutations, because the viruses love to mutate, that's what they do. And they're going to just keep the ones that keep the good mutations that help it evade the immune system when it when it gets to it. So every time it jumps from one person to the other, it can mutate. And that's why it's so important to have precautions because we we need to limit spread in order to limit mutations. Mm -hmm. So those kind, so a few variants have the ability to, like I said, not be as sticky to the antibodies that we're making. So the thing that we're really, really worried about, and again, this is not even, we're not even close to this. But like maybe in the way future, if we still haven't gotten to herd immunity, maybe vaccines might not work because that's how, you know, the vaccines make antibodies and they stick to the virus. That's how it works. So if it yeah. doesn't stick at all, then we're in trouble. Yeah. But again, like that, that's going to take a long time. I don't want people to panic. I just want people to know that this, it, this is a, a very time sensitive issue. Agreed. You don't want to wait to get a vaccine. You want to get it as soon as possible because there are all these factors that I have been talking about and why it's really time is of the essence.
0: Yeah, yeah, no same. Uh got my mom vaccinated very recently. Very, very happy.
1: Yeah. So
0: hopefully your family's getting vaccinated now too.
1: Yes, most of them. Some people are not as <laughs> yeah.
0: You know, to my surprise, I have anti-vaxxers in my own family. And um yeah. some of them are uh, in medicine. So I was like, oh <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, really? Yeah. I mean, well, they're not like medical doctors, you know, but at the at the same time, it's still Pretty heartbreaking, pretty interesting to see, but you know, it is what it yeah. is. You,
1: you may bring up a good point. There are some healthcare workers that are against the vaccine and I, I it really breaks my heart because it breaks my heart too. This this is science, right? This is what we base our careers off of. This is what we do every single day. And yeah. And they are also telling other people not to get it. Yeah. Which
0: as far as like communicating medical science, like uh, maybe it hasn't been communicated as well as it can be or something, you know, and that's one of the things with Medspiration we always want to do is, you know, uh, make medical science cool, you know, because the immune system awesome. We have like antibodies that are always protecting us like 24 seven and we have vaccines that can help you learn about something that you haven't even come into contact with. And you know, what's crazy is so if you go to India like polio was a big thing out there. People didn't have legs, like they couldn't walk and like they eradicated polio because of vaccines. And that's the difference. When you go to a third world country, Mm -hmm. you see people who got the vaccines and they, it completely changed everything versus I think here, because majority of people end up vaccinated, we barely see measles anymore. We barely see these things. Again, if you don't see it with your own eyes, maybe it does does make you think that it's not real, you know?
1: Right. It's true. This is, this is what I tell my patients all the time. We're very privileged here. We, we are. Don't ever have to see this. And so I have had to convince people polio existed.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah. Actually, yeah. That's
1: why we get the vaccine to keep it from coming back. And people yeah. don't believe me. You have to show them pictures of actually this happening to us. Yeah. So yeah, it's hard when and and hopefully I'm hoping that the silver lining here is that people see that vaccines do work that we need it. And hopefully my job will be a little easier later because I still need to give my vaccines to my my patients. I still have vaccine hesitant parents.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. You're a pediatrician. I'm a family medicine doctor. Together as a unit, our specialties, we're literally responsible for all the kids in the United (laughs) States, right? So this next one, it's big for all the parents in the United States. The CDC, they announced that they're adjusting the guidelines to include those ages 12 and up in the vaccine participation. So can you tell us more about that? Absolutely. We
1: are so lucky to have gotten this authorization. So it's the FDA. Emergency Use Authorization for uh, 12 and up. 12 and up can get the Pfizer shot Mm -hmm. and really this, this authorization, I just wanted to say that it's very stringent process. They actually have to get the DSMB, which is the Data Safety Monitoring Board. That is an independent board that looks at all the data and then lets the pharmaceutical companies know that they found some ep- uh, high efficacy. And then that's when they can apply to the FDA for an e After that, which is a very long process, because as you know, we actually knew about this since March. Mm-hmm. They looked through it and we just now found out about this. So mm-hmm. they've been looking through the data this whole time. ACIP, which is the Advisory Committee of Immunization Practices, is the expert panel that looks at the data again, (laughs) full of experts, including pediatricians, because as you know, pediatricians are the experts for kids and vaccines, actually, and they deemed it safe and effective, as well as American Academy of Pediatrics, too, I just got back from meeting from there last week, everyone's on the same page about this, we're really excited. Cause as you know kids can be affected by covid they do contribute to hospitalizations and death as well of course children aren't nearly as affected as adults but if it's your child you know it doesn't really matter what the numbers are
0: no okay so that's really cool because you taught me a few new things it's reassuring to know how many other independent entities are involved and that's so important you know because uh, there could be a lot of bias but then when you have A lot of independent entities with a lot of different experts are coming together to the same conclusion. It is very, very reassuring, you know? And I do want to take this time to kind of talk about the data. So as far as the Pfizer vaccine and children. So can you tell us more about that?
1: Yeah. So they actually looked at over 2,000, almost 3,000 children. And half of them got the Pfizer shot. Half of them got the placebo. Mm -hmm. And they found that it was 100% efficacious. the FIGO shot was 100% efficacious, which is unheard of, right? I mean, that's Mm -hmm. amazing. Yes, the numbers are smaller, but as you know, real world data has been showing 90 plus percent effectiveness actually in the real Mm -hmm. world. And then on top of that, they found that antibody levels were higher among the 12 to 15 group versus the 16 to 25 group. And the higher the antibodies, the better. It means a better immune response. So all of this very good. And the shots are very tolerable. There's a lot of misinformation out there where people are saying kids died in a child. Not true. We have to make sure these shots are safe and effective. So I hope that reassures some parents because I, I definitely have I heard a lot about hesitancy and I understand it's your child, right? It's their, your world as a pediatrician. It's my job to make sure, you know, everything, all the safety data, all the efficacy data, so you can make the decision. But of course I want to give you facts and I want you to be able to make the decision based off of facts and not misinformation.
0: Looking at this from a risk versus benefits standpoint, your kid being exposed to COVID versus you getting this vaccine that gives you antibodies against it. And I wanna play the devil's advocate because I have been hearing um, some physicians saying that part, like, okay, kids that get COVID, it's it's not as serious. So are the risks and benefits worth it? And then that's that's where I kind of wanted to ask you, like when it comes to COVID and, and children, like what are the rates of hospitalization? Can you share some uh, some complications we do see In kids that do get COVID.
1: Absolutely. Almost 4 million children have gotten COVID in the U.S. That's a lot of cases. 300 to 600 have passed away. The the estimates are different in in different organizations, but the Mm -hmm. AAP thinks about 300. Some other places like CDC thinks more like 600. And it's hard because these are underestimates we don't know exactly what the numbers are. And I think that we have to also consider hospitalizations. We had 200,000 children, again, an estimate from the CDC, children hospitalized, you know, I'm not even talking about MIC yet. MISC is multi system inflammatory syndrome for Mm -hmm. kids. And that also causes hospitalizations. Yes, it's it's very rare. And it's, you know, we only had 35 deaths. Mm-hmm. But if it's your kid, why not protect them against COVID? I always talk about long COVID. It affects everyone. Yes, it does affect kids less. Overall, though, I would say it, it does affect I've seen many cases myself on COVID is when you know you have fatigue for a lo- long term, or some kind of neurological or heart problem, or, you know, it's just, it's just terrible and, and shortness of breath. So all these things that we don't even understand mm-hmm. a lot of this. And I mean, I know patients that like kids who still have long COVID since last March. Wow. Um, yeah, so it does affect kids.
0: I'm kind of curious, because I do a lot of adult medicine. And when I get people with COVID, so most most people after you know, COVID hit, you realize a lot of them wouldn't come to the hospital because everybody's too scared to come to the hospital. So the people that started coming to the hospital were the ones in acute respiratory distress. By that, I mean, a lot of them require oxygen, right? That would be kind of Uh, the adult hospitalization, if they require oxygen, that's usually typically going to be like, okay, we can admit this patient, you know, and everybody's course is different. I mean, sometimes people just, they're in the ER, they get sent home and they can quarantine. And then Sometimes the respiratory distress is so bad that they go up to the ICU, they never come back down. And then sometimes we get the patients who are on the general floors and, you know, we can manage them. As long as they get the amount of oxygen they need, they do fine and then they're discharged home. Now, from that sample size of patients, uh, when I follow up with them outpatient, the ones who made it and lived, uh, I've actually seen a lot of long COVID, and in adults, you'll see long COVID. Um, some of them they continue to require oxygen even after, and that's really interesting because a lot of them they were on room air; they never needed oxygen before that. We do see syndrome. multi-system in inflammatory too. syndrome. Yeah, yeah, in
1: adults as well. Yeah,
0: a lot in adults, <laughs> and it, it manifests in any organ. It could It could yeah. manifest in any organ. It can happen mm-hmm. months later, and it could be you know, continued for a long period of time. So with the kiddos, is it similar with hospitalizations? Is it mainly respiratory distress or like, what do you guys see?
1: Yeah, it's respiratory distress. Usually I would say the older group is, is more high risk in general. So mm-hmm. teens actually perfect group to to give this vaccine to. We do see complications like heart conditions and neurological conditions, like in the ICU as well. Mm-hmm. Um, stroke we've even seen. We've seen blood clots because yeah, the blood clots are terrible for in COVID long term mm-hmm. as well. Even if the child has asymptomatic COVID, it can actually turn into long COVID as well. Again, rare. Yeah. Yeah, all of these things I'm saying, it is rare in kids, so I don't want people to say, you know. But you said, <laughs> but I, I just wanna to point out that these things can happen to kids as well.
0: And again, we want to. It's important, out. you know, and yeah, we're we're both people who have a sample size of like, you know, we see so many patients every day, yeah. and these are real life examples, you know, and that's really really important because I mean, if if this if there's a parent that's listening, you know, and you want to protect your child. Um, at least you could hear a family medicine doctor and a pediatrician talking and a pediatrician, it. Yeah, I'm both of us, we see
1: kids, we see kids, yeah. See kids. yeah. yeah. And, so- and you know, we're very well versed in public health estimates as well. So it's, you know, I see not just the cases, you know, mm-hmm. in the hospitals and outpatient, but I also know the numbers from, from my work as well. And I do some contact tracing as well. So Man, I do
0: yeah. know about that. So what would you say to a parent who's gonna be hesitant? to give their child the vaccine?
1: So I would try to say all of these things as well, but um, in terms of parental hesitancy, I always say that it it totally makes sense why you would be hesitant, right? Mm -hmm. I get it. I myself was hesitant to, you know, back last year when I didn't know much about the vaccines, but once I learned more and more, once I learned um, about the, the actual facts, I started to get much more confident and so that is what my job is is to give you the information so that you know you can become more confident if someone has questions i'm open to that and i'm i don't you know shut it down easily because everyone has questions i mean they're they're here all sorts of crazy stuff <laughs> I'm turn. And, and maybe not even crazy stuff. I mean, I mean, I know some physicians who have been talking ag- out against the vaccines mm-hmm. uh, for children. And I was surprised to hear that since they're not pediatricians. They're not no. family doctors who do this every single day. I want to help give my expert opinion in public yes. and, and in pediatrics and in vaccines. Let's say you're in the ER and you have asthma. You, you need treatment. I'm not going to go, Oh, do you do you want albuterol? Like, yeah. uh, you can choose like albuterol or the and, and you know, it, it's it's more like, let me That's talk about why this album is going to save your life. I need to do this. If they're going to say no, I'll, I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to not going to stop. <laughs> because yeah. I think it's going to save their life. So I'm going to say, Hey, you know, I, I know you said no at first, but you're still shorter breath. I really want to give this to you like let me let me answer some questions you know kind of like have a conversation because it's because we care
0: no that's great i mean same thing it's funny because i had that today in clinic
1: uh-huh. <laughs> But every day um, for me yeah
0: <laughs> right i do celebrate the parents that are hesitant because yes. i realize like sometimes i have mom and dad and they're both hesitant but they came to the doctors you know and, they, yes. and they're 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 asking questions and i always <laughs> acknowledge them because i'm like that hesitancy comes from wanting to protect your kid it comes from love big question here when and where can we take off our masks
1: it's the hottest topic out there right now um as of today
0: (laughs) a lot of people are are living right now Yeah. yeah
1: So, you know, I think there are multiple sides think that it's, it's also hard because a lot of experts have different opinions. I mean, I haven't actually heard one person share like the same exact opinion as me. I mean, maybe similar, but I think even maybe my opinion would be a little bit different from yours. So I've heard all sorts of things, you know, and I think I just want to first to say that the CDC made these guidelines because vaccines are safe and effective. That That is true. That si- science has shown time and time again with real world data that vaccines prevent asymptomatic and symptomatic disease, even when there's a breakthrough case, meaning that a person who's uh, who's vaccinated somehow caught COVID. Usually, it's from a unvaccinated person. Those cases, for the vast majority of the time, are asymptomatic or mild. There was a sports team that you know had an outbreak, and they all got Johnson and Johnson. But all those cases, that, you know, oh, not had- that the Yankees? Yeah. 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 They had gotten it from one case, like who had not been vaccinated. Oh, and then, no
0: way. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah. And then basically it was like maybe eight cases and all of them were mild and they, they did not see that it was transmitted to other people outside the, the wow, yeah, cohort. Yeah. So basically it means, right. If you're going to get it, and they have a big breakthrough case. I've been saying this since October, actually. But when people would ask me how do vaccines work, I would just explain it just like that. Those mild and asymptomatic cases um, have a lower viral load in general. And so then when, you know, that, that's maybe why they're not able to transmit it as easily. As, like, let's say a, a person who's unvaccinated, that viral load is going to be high in that mm-hmm. person. And then they're much, you know, more capable of transmitting that virus. Now, I do think that the communication and the nuances could have been better communicated. We're not saying these guidelines in a vacuum. We're we're humans, and public health is is all about that too, right? right. It's all about how how do people react to certain news? I think that we have to remember that there might be people and communities left behind. I mean, as a pediatrician, um, I always think about kids, kids are always left behind. Yet again, there are guidelines that don't include children parents, you know, maybe scrambling to figure out what to do. Because now as my next point is that, you know, trust, right? Like we have to trust that People will mask if they're unvaccinated. How are we gonna be able to verify that? That that's not gonna be easy. And, and it's gonna be left up to individual businesses to figure that out, which they already have so much burden. We don't have a vaccine passport, and that's something I wish, I really, really wish we had before they made these guidelines. I mean, other communities that are you know, high risk, like yeah, black and brown communities, low socioeconomic communities, they have a high rate of hesitancy, which makes sense because of their history, because they don't have access to health uh, resources as well as affluent communities not their fault that they're hesitant. They might not be able to take off from work. There's so many issues here, as well as, you know, compromised, medically complex patients. Those And, and they, they, I felt like when I was talking to uh, to, to many of these uh, people in the communities and when they were vaccinated, they were happy to go outside finally. And now I feel like they're now feeling uh, more anxious again and not
0: knowing what to do so since COVID happened what the doctors were doing in the hospital was we wore our n95s and then we wore a surgical mask on top of that we're double masking from the start that's how it's been and since i got vaccinated i still double mask when Mm -hmm. i'm down in the er if i'm in the icu i'm with a COVID patient i'm double masking I'm, i'm wearing my eye protection and i'm wearing my the gowns, I'm wearing the gloves, like I'm I'm getting all the way prepared for it, you know, yeah. so and since I've been seeing patients, I can't tell you when I'll feel comfortable taking off my mask and seeing patients.
1: Yeah.
0: Not anytime in the future. I right? don't so think this, I <laughs> I know that this is a big deal for like the general public, but I'm a resident, I spent 80 hours a week seeing patients so for me it didn't change much because i'm still going to be masking you know and my wife and i we went out to eat i'm still masking i i just i don't know um i i don't feel comfortable uh unmasking even though i know i'm vaccinated and i'm probably protected but i'm i'm doing what i can to protect myself this was confusing the the cdc dropping this uh on people because there's been a lot of people doing counterfeit vaccine passport things where like, you know, I have mine laying around here. It shows yeah. I've been vaccinated, but people are counterfeiting that.
1: I feel you, you know, as a healthcare provider, that that's also on top of that, we have all this anxiety that has been building up throughout this whole pandemic. We're all suffering from PTSD, PTSD also is high risk for in terms of getting a virus, I I always have at least like five asthma attacks a year, which is crazy. Oh, I have severe goodness. asthma. So yeah. I would catch things from my patients. This whole year, I haven't gotten one asthma attack because I haven't caught any colds because of my mask.
0: I am living like a dream, you know, I, I want to continue this. You know, you bring up an interesting point because The last time i did peds in the hospital because we started masking the previous winter when i was there we were getting a lot of rsv Uh, we were getting Mm -hmm. some flu and you're getting a lot of kids who just needed oxygen right but then uh, this last year there was no kids in the hospital and i you know i think some of it might have been like people are just afraid to bring their kids to hospital but actually you're the expert in that so like how big of a difference did we see in RSV and flu this year because of mass? Like do, do you know?
1: I mean, off the top of my head, you know, and I I remember some numbers as well as anecdotally, but RSV and flu really were I mean they disappeared almost.
0: Right? Like, yeah, I'm, because that's dude, I the mean, hospital no, was empty. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Now and then i would hear the keys, but it wasn't like
0: the year previously yeah around that time of year it's just they're <laughs> flying in there the kids are yeah. you know so well isn't that fascinating to you that we yeah. we clearly implemented something where we're social distancing we're masking and we're paying attention to personal hygiene i can say i bear witness it made a dramatic difference in the amount yeah. of kids that were hospitalized yeah. for rsv and flu We
1: actually are seeing a few cases now, and and it is creeping up in terms of RSV and flu because of some relaxation of precautions. So I do still suggest to my patients, continue to wear a mask. I mean, this is especially for kids who have asthma, high-risk situations. People have to realize kids are unvaccinated. And we have to treat them as such.
0: I feel like a lot of people felt like their freedoms were taken away with with a lot Mm -hmm. of this stuff. What I can say is now the vaccines are available. We know that the vaccines can protect you. For the individuals out there who choose not to get vaccinated, who choose to not wear a mask it's out there for you, you know? And if you chose to protect yourself, you did. If you didn't, I mean, you have your freedom. Uh, There have been a lot of reports actually about the vaccine affecting the menstrual cycle. And I've had tons of patients mention it as well. So what have we learned and can it affect fertility? That's one of the most common questions I get too.
1: Yeah, that's the number one question I get. So we have had some reports that some people have, you know, some changes in, their menstrual period, you know, sometimes it's like a change in period flow or cramps or timing or something. And it didn't affect a lot of my colleagues. But I have heard of people, you know, and patients who have had had that happen, they, you know, they're worried about fertility, really, there's absolutely no no truth to that. there's no way the vaccine can cause infertility absolutely. and again, this change in periods they it can be because actually the endometrium is part of the immune system. So you know when we get like fever, we get you know muscle aches, I mean we may have an immune response in the endometrium as well. that's temporary and Ooh, yeah. so you may for that month get you know, something different, maybe it'll come early whatever, you know, I don't want people to freak out because it's definitely something that can be explained biologically, it's biologically plausible. And it has nothing to do with infertility. I just want people to know that it's a myth yeah. because I keep getting asked this question more than any other okay. question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there was even a preprint that showed that the ovarian function is not changed whatsoever. I mean, I can't even believe they even had to look into that, but they did okay. because of all I mean, these
0: questions. Yeah.
1: Yes, that have been going around. But I mean, ACOG, which is the American College of OBGYN, the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine, Everybody has been saying, really, there's nothing, there's nothing there. And I don't, I don't want people to think that.
0: Is there a risk of miscarriage after being vaccinated?
1: No, no. So uh, infertility, <laughs> miscarriage, not, none of that. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, there's no correlation. I mean, there's no correlation even. Yeah. either. Like, no causation <laughs> for that.
0: Yep. Same as general population. Definitely. That's so, right.
1: Yeah. And they're very, very important. They yeah. Had, yeah. So they had a, you know, any JM article on um, the New England Journal came out with an article that showed that the background rate is the same. The V-safe uh, pregnancy um, mm-hmm. study um, because, you know, pregnant people were enrolled via V-safe and they looked at the rates of, you know, pregnancy loss and miscarriage mm-hmm. and all those like, uh, adverse effects and compared it with background rates and they found no difference.
0: Yep. That is correct. And very reassuring to hear mm-hmm. that as well. What about pregnant and breastfeeding moms receiving the vaccine? This is, again, I would say one of the most common questions <laughs> I get.
1: I get that one every single day. Oh so, yeah, yes. um, pregnant people and their infants are at high, high risk for complications from COVID. Yeah, and that's why it's such an important topic. So ACOG, which is the experts, they're the experts for pregnant people. They are. They want people to have a choice and should be allowed to get the COVID vaccine. You know, initially there wasn't as much data because, you know, pregnant people were not included in the trials. But now we have 100,000 people who are pregnant, who got the vaccine, no red flags at all. Dr. Walensky from the CDC, who's a director, recently, you know, gave a recommendation and said people should just get it pregnant people should get it so we're getting closer to like just like a full on recommendation the cdc website hasn't been updated to be official yet but i think it's coming Mm -hmm. and like i mentioned the new england journal had shown there's really no risk Mm -hmm. mrna shots are safe in pregnant people that's what i would say like if if Pregnant people need, want to talk to their doctor, they can go on and do that, but they don't have to. They can get the shot. That's their choice. They could get it, and they should know that it will protect them from COVID. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, and then for lactating people and for people who are conceiving, absolutely, there's really nothing you know, to consider I mean, COVID is a threat for everybody. And so especially for lactating people who are, you know, giving milk to their babies, those antibodies can be transferred Mm -hmm. to the baby. And also for pregnant people, it could be transferred trans uh, placentally Mm -hmm. to the baby, and that lasts six months in the baby. So all these things are reasons why you should consider that. Beautiful. Uh, getting
0: the vaccine. Yeah, and, and for context, you know, I had two co-residents who were pregnant during this time. They both got vaccinated. Um, no side effects or anything like that. I had an attending who was also pregnant, who also got vaccinated. So, and I think that's leading by example. You know, um, people in the field actually doing that. Hopefully, that's a little bit more reassuring for our audience out there as well. Now, what is the latest news regarding the J and J vaccine?
1: Yeah, a lot has happened. <laughs> Yep. Until all the meetings, they're like ten hours long, but I was there, <laughs> and That's- so yeah, I mean, part of public health, you know, is is just making sure everything's going well and how to message things appropriately. So basically, CDC and the FDA they pause the J and J vaccine out of an abundance of caution. And that's yeah. because they found six cases of, you know, blood clots. So basically, it's it's a special type of blood clot. It's thrombosis with thrombocytopenia syndrome, meaning it's like these brain uh, in the brain. There are these vessels that drain, and they found clots there. So it is serious. But it is also extremely extremely rare and i want people to know like just how stringent the process is right so basically this is exactly how the system is supposed to work if they even see a tiny tiny uptick on something even if it's one per million which is literally what this was one per million they will pause everything just to investigate and they investigate for 11 days so I just want people to be reassured of this process because people are saying, oh, this, the vaccine causes this, the vaccine causes that. No, <laughs> because if if it was true, the FDA and CDC would have paused that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So basically they uh, looked at everything and they did find that there were 15 total cases of TTS, which is what I was talking about, but it was out of 8 million doses. So it is wow. very... Okay very, very rare. It's like point zero zero zero, you know, percent, but they did see that it was an increased rate in 18 to 50 year old in in women of 18 to 15 year old age group. Okay. So it is important to note that because you know, it's seven per million. It's still really, really rare. Seven Mm -hmm. per million is like ridiculous, right? You don't even think about those risks really. Yeah. And again, for vaccine, like that, that saves your life from COVID, it, it's like, you know, right. you just have to weigh the pros and cons. So, for people who in that age group and their women, because men, it, it didn't seem to really affect no. many like zero per million for men. And then for above 50, it was like two per million. So, those age groups are not, you know, it's not as much of a concern. Mm-hmm. But if you're in this age group, then you can consider getting the mRNA shot just because in the US, we are so lucky. Yeah, to be yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you can choose the, the other ones if, if you're in that age group. If you still want the JJ it because it's a one shot deal, it's so easy. You don't have to go back. You don't have to take off from work, all that stuff. Like, that's okay as long as you know the risks, but uh, the, the small, small risks. So that's what they decided, basically. Okay. So that's why they unpaused it because, again, it's like such a low risk.
0: Yeah, and I, I, I've read, uh, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, that the women who ended up getting the blood clots. There was some type of proponent that was similar to heparin-induced thrombocytopenia, the genetic mutation, was that true or?
1: So, yeah, so basically there is heparin, yeah, it's, it's kind of related. It's okay. like the platelet activating factor four. Um, yeah. So that basically the their antibodies made against that. And so you have a tendency to clot, uh, mm-hmm. the platelets to clot. And so it is similar. That's why we want to avoid giving heparin if you're suspicious of that. If you see someone who comes in- Very
0: important, symptoms,
1: yeah. Yeah, headache and like, you know, like really, really bad headache, like not just like a regular headache. It's like, like really bad. Like, um, and then abdominal pain, leg swelling. You know, it's all on the CDC website, but it's 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 not going to be like you got the shot and you feel flu- like symptoms. It's yeah. going to be- different you know mm-hmm. um, so I think that th- those kind of I mean it's all written in the seeds because I think it as a clinician is super important to know about oh, this. Yeah. Uh, even though it's rare we still have to be on the lookout. And then also on the FDA EUA fact sheet they did add those kind of warnings so that people know.
0: That's great. That's great information. When do you think we can reach herd immunity? When uh, are we doing anything to kind of track that and project when we could potentially reach it?
1: It's really hard to to yeah. kind of project, but I'm hoping, at least by the end of this year, I, I, that's more of a conservative estimate. A lot of people are saying even like fall wow. of this year. So really, I mean, I don't know. I, I usually go the conservative route, and I've been- You're actually-
0: right, it's probably a good idea. <laughs>
1: my predictions have been pretty good lately so. <laughs> uh, because i I guess I expect the worst sometimes but I, I think that if we can get vaccinated really quick maybe maybe false so it really it's up to us we just have to get vaccinated and you know I would say the u.s can reach there I don't know about the rest of the world that that I'm a little less optimistic about just because of the supply the short supply right we can only hope right
0: so you've been out in New York since this has happened I Oh my I,
1: gosh! Was, I wasn't
0: there, but I've had some attendings who were doing locum tenens out uh, in New York, and I've heard some horror stories when you hard. guys were getting hit. Like
1: it was so bad. I mean, if you had talked to me last May, well, mm-hmm. I wouldn't. I would have. Like, I would have been crying. I just wouldn't have talked to anybody yeah. because it was just such a horrible time. And for me to be able to speak here and say we have vaccines and wow. we're you know, getting closer to the light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, I, I it brought tears to my eyes when I got my vaccine. You know, I, it's just such a wonderful time. And we really need to work together to yeah. get herd immunity. And I have hope like you, you know, maybe not as much as you, but I try to have a lot of hope.
0: <laughs> Same. I, like I said, I finished ICU and my attending who was out in New York, he told me some heartbreaking stories. He said there was a hospital that had like 300 cases of acute respiratory distress syndrome all at the same time and people were dying like at such a high rate that all the all the healthcare workers would just they would leave crying every day, not knowing what to do or what to say. And you know, we we got hit pretty hard out here in Illinois. But I, I when I heard these stories, I was like, no, we didn't have like 300 cases of RDS all at the same time and like run out of vents and stuff like that. So yeah. that was just gut wrenching, though. I can't even imagine like the PTSD as a as a healthcare provider you would have seeing stuff like that. You know?
1: Yeah, it was really rough in New York, and we. Did- just didn't want the rest of the US to suffer the way we did. But unfortunately, because precautions were met in some areas, you know, they did have something close to us. And it just, it breaks my heart. It really breaks my heart because re- history does repeat itself a lot of the time. Yeah, and right. I just was hoping it wouldn't. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's happening everywhere around the world. And I hope that we can get the word out to get these vaccines. Because while precautions are important, vaccines really are the way to end this pandemic. The light is at the end of the tunnel.
0: Agreed. And Dr. Risa, you are doing your part. I want to acknowledge you for doing your part because your posts are awesome. They're simple. They're digestible. I, I share them all the time. How can our audience uh, reach you? How can they get in contact with you and kind of know what you're up to?
1: Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. So I'm on Instagram at dr.resahoshino, and they and anyone can follow me and they can DM me. I try to answer my DMs, but I do have, I think, like 57,000 followers now. So it is getting a little harder, but you can comment on my post. I usually try to at least comment comment back because I want people to see the answers to, to common questions. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really happy to, to help and please, you know, share, share, not just my posts, but you know, science communicators posts, because if you can boost our posts, they will (laughs) hopefully, you know because the thing is the, the antivax vaxxers their posts are shared like crazy and so the algorithm loves it and so it gets it gets seen by so many people yeah. my posts, not so much because it's not as you know juicy as uh like a neurodegenerative diseases yeah. you know, or something like that being caused by vaccine which is not true that's a mess yeah uh, um so yeah, so if you can, you know, like it, pull up, share it, comment, that that will be very helpful for all of us science communicators.
0: You're so right. You know, I, I did this huge thing at a, at a conference um, very recently where I was talking about the benefits of social media and the benefits of healthcare providers having social media and doing education through it. And I was talking about like the anti-vaccine community and how they mobilize and how they have like, I mean, they're unified. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they like, they, I, it's unreal, like how, how much traction they're gaining off of something that's back with no evidence, you know? So, and that's where I feel like, yeah, like you were saying, it's it's our responsibility now to to fight that, to combat that with real medical science. So our general population, and I've noticed most people, they're genuinely curious. Most people just want to know the truth and they're, they're very curious. So they'll ask a lot of questions, you know? So those are the people that I feel like we can really reach when we share these type of things with them
1: they think that we're the ones um spreading the misinformation so it's 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 um a toxic cycle
0: well dr risa thank you so much for joining us this was really good um this was so <laughs> packed with information uh, i can't wait to give this out to our audience i can't wait to hear what they have to say so thank you so much for joining us i really appreciate your time and your energy
1: Thank you so much i really enjoyed being with you and talking to you about this stuff it's really a passion of mine and i hope that everyone can get vaccinated
0: yeah i hope so too there you have it folks i hope you guys left this one feeling meds fired if you learned something new or if you genuinely enjoyed this episode please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate it five stars medspiration is a 501c3 non-profit charity organization The more you help us grow, the more people we're able to help. Let's make a commitment together, guys, and attempt to be the best possible version of ourselves no matter what life throws at us mentally, physically, and spiritually. As always, you know what time it is. It's time to get out there and to do something medspiring.